This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the breakfast huddle with Adrian Abraham and Ryan Huang. Time now to shift our attention to the U.S. From the country's latest mass shooting incident to the U.S.'s stand on the Taiwan and China conflict, and the latest on the U.S.-led Asia-Pacific trade initiative. Well, to give us an analysis of those headlines and more, we have on the line Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor, McLaughty Associates. Welcome to the show. Thanks, and from the U.S. perspective, happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day, sir. Let's get into some very sad news that happened uh, last week. America's latest mass shooting at an elementary school in Texas. You know, it claimed the lives of 19 children and two adults. The latest findings from this incident, Steve, what caused the shooter to go on this rampage on children? And how have gun owners in the U.S. reacted to this news? Well, you know, it's an interesting distinction between how have gun owners reacted and how has the gun lobby reacted and and through the National Rifle Association of the NRA. And it's two very different things. If you look on Twitter, you see one of the trending is hashtag gun owners for safe. Because there's no question. I mean, why did this happen? It's because an 18-year-old got serious emotional and mental issues, was able to just walk in and buy an AR-15. And that's why it happened. Um, but then you look at the NRA and, and what they say is, well, the problem's not, you know, that an 18-year-old could buy a gun. It's not that an AR-15 is available. It's that doors are the problem. There's too many doors in school. So let's address the doors. And, and that's the debate that's going on in the U.S. right now. And hopefully there'll be enough gun owners for safety who will actually allow something to happen this time to address the problem. Yeah, incredibly disturbing. But, you know, according to new FBI data, the U.S. has experienced 61 active shooter incidents last year. And that's the highest tally in over 20 years. Should the U.S. authorities actually be worried by these findings? And, you know, according to you, is it about time the sale of guns be banned in the country? I mean, we can say yes, but there's also a lot of opposition to that, isn't there? Well, I mean, not you know, you asked who, who should be worried. Should the authorities be, should be worried? Everybody should be worried. And more and more people are really worried about this. Now, the leading cause of death of American children is now guns. Firearms have passed motor vehicles as the top killer of kids in 2020. I mean, that that is just completely and totally unacceptable. And what you see now is, you know, talk about banning guns. I mean, that, look, that's not going to happen in the United States. But it is possible to maybe address some of the issues that people on both sides of the debate agree. Should there be what we call in the United States a red flag law, where the police could come in and say, this person is mentally disturbed, this person has made threats, we're going to take the guns away from that person. That is a a type of law that potentially could pass. Maybe you could change the law for gun ownership instead of it now being 18 in a state like Texas, you make it 21. And that's what happened in Florida after the massacre that occurred in Parkland at the school there. They raised the age from 18 to 21. So maybe you could get some incremental changes that could save lives. I mean, you're not going to get the home run of banning guns or even banning assault weapons. That that stopped in the U.S. decades ago. So you just got to start somewhere. And maybe that'll happen this time. 
Yeah, exactly. You have to start somewhere and any sort of change uh, will be welcomed. You know, moving our attention over to U.S. President Joe Biden's recent trip to, you know, Asia, it was all going, you know, quite well, very smooth until Taiwan came up. Now, Mr. Biden was asked whether the U.S. would respond militarily if China sought to retake the self-ruled island by force. And his answer was yes. But by how much and how far does the U.S. have Taiwan's back on this matter? Do they really have Taiwan's back? Well, the, the U.S. position before President Biden's remarks and after President Biden's remarks remains the same. And it's, it's something called strategic ambiguity and why the U.S. believes it's best to be ambiguous about China. Because if the U.S. about Taiwan, because if the U.S. said it wasn't going to defend Taiwan, well, maybe that would make Beijing think differently about whether or not it should try and take, take the island by force. And if it said that it did 100% have Taiwan's back, well, then maybe that would lead Taiwan um, to declaring independence, which could then make the situation across the Straits much more unstable. So the U.S. has always had this position of the past you know, few decades of, of what's called strategic ambiguity. And the question is, has the U.S. shifted to strategic clarity as a result of President Biden's remarks, which is to say it's going to be definitive one way or the other? And it's hard to say that an off-the-cuff answer after a speech is different from a prepared remark. It's different from a deliberate signal and strategy. So, look, it's still strategic ambiguity, but and, and it'll be interesting to see how President Biden would answer that question next time he's asked, and maybe he would go along the lines of something that Secretary Blinken says, which is that it would be a serious mistake for anyone to try to change the status quo by force. So go back to more of an ambiguity and less of clarity. And in this case, Steve, does China have the upper hand, though? China obviously has its position when it comes to Taiwan having always been part of China. Um, And, you know, Taiwan has never declared independence, of course. And so you've had the status quo keeping peace across the straits with the U.S. recognizing but not accepting what China has said when it comes to Taiwan. So, look, the more China grows militarily, the more it builds up its navy, the more uh, it has, the, the, the balance might shift a bit, which is why the United States has felt it's always been important to keep this ambiguity in terms of its relationship between China and Taiwan. It's, you know, recognizing but not accepting, being unclear to both sides what would happen. But yeah, of course, the balance is shifting. And that's why what's happening in Ukraine is very interesting to watch as well when it comes to, to the cross-strait activities. This podcast is available on our audio app, That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Yeah, very interesting developments coming out of Taiwan in relation to China. Also, during his trip, Mr. Biden announced that 13 countries have joined a new U.S.-led Asia-Pacific trade initiative touted as a counterweight to China's aggressive expansion in the region. Now, Steve, how will the U.S. benefit from such a trade initiative? And what needs to be done to ensure this trade initiative is a success? Well, look, the U.S. has not signed a new trade agreement in the region for over a decade. And that last one was the U.S.-Korea uh, FTA. So the U.S. has done very little 
from a regional trade policy perspective that was effective. I mean, give credit to President Biden and President Obama for launching the negotiations for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the U.S. signed, but then, of course, Donald Trump pulled out on his third day in office. And in the meantime, while the U.S. is doing nothing successfully for over a decade, the TPP went forward without the U.S., of course, China, now very engaged with ASEAN and, and other markets through the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. So if this is a way to get the U.S. back into the game. It's not a trade deal, but at least we're going to have discussions and now with up to you know seven members of ASEAN joining these discussions it's the highest level of US government regional trade policy engagement with ASEAN arguably ever so we don't know what the actual outcomes will be yet but give credit for the Biden administration to try and it's not necessarily an anti-china move it's more of the US saying we need to be part of the regional discussion it needs to be focused on issues that we all care about, ideally in the region, and maybe digital trade will be the first win that this initiative can put up on the board uh, for the U.S. and the countries in Asia. Yeah, Steve, before I let you go, I have to you know, ask you about how the U.S. has expressed concern over China's efforts to restrict and manipulate the U.N. human rights chief Michelle Bachelet's visit to the Xinjiang region. What do we know so far about that week-long visit to China and why is the U.S. so invested and concerned about the outcome of this visit? Well, I know mean, the U.S. is concerned about what's happening in Xinjiang because look, the United States has said there's a genocide occurring. There. there are crimes against humanity going on. There's a million individuals in detention. There's forced sterilization in addition to the mass internment. And so what the U.S. and others are concerned about is that it's going to give China a propaganda win because the U.N. didn't have the access to look into what's happening on the ground, to talk to the people, to see everything that it needed to see. And so years of negotiation take place. And then you have a, a situation where the UN goes in and then doesn't come out with any specific findings. So I think that that's what the United States was concerned about is that there is serious you know, human rights issues and that the UN visit here could backfire because it didn't accomplish what it should have accomplished and therefore it shouldn't have happened. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, quite a visit as well. Being in conversation with Steve Oaken, Senior Advisor, McClarty Associates. Steve, thank you so much for your time. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks, you too. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. 